welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Backing down a lefty hook, breaks it in! With your host, Gallius Anderson, stopped it down behind his head. Seku Smith, the tipping is good at the buzzer. Now it's time for the tip I love hearing that music every week, coming to you live from the headquarters here at NBA.com. Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog, um, joined in the studio today by another member of our team, Micah Hart, who uh, unveiled the All Blog blog this week on NBA.com. It's Let's like a tongue twister. You, <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've said it like 600 times a day, and every time I'm getting tongue-tied. I think you did that on purpose. Uh, a little bit, um, just to mess with you. But it's great stuff. It's the I like to refer to the all blog, all ball blog. <laughs> <laughs> I like to refer to it as the uh, handsome younger brother of the hang time blog, since uh, he's a he's roughly eleven months younger. Than, I'll, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. Um, you now, if you looked at us, you saw my hair hairline and yours. People might not think that necessarily. I but. don't know, Mike. You got the shadow working now. <laughs> got the shadow working, but it's it's going to be great stuff. Um, and I'm I'm curious. I know you just unveiled it here uh, this week, but explain to everybody what you know what's behind it and where and where we're going with it. You know, I think I sort of look at your your blog as kind of the you know the LeBron James, if you will, <laughs> of uh, of, nice. of NBA.com. You know, everybody's just trying to support what you're doing. Um, <laughs> you know, I just I feel like uh, all ball. We try to sort of. Uh, pick up the leftovers, really. Right. Um, no, but, you know, try to come up with some of the funny things that are going around and get into some discussions that, uh, you know, maybe have to do with the NBA or maybe are just basketball in general uh, and just silly stuff. I mean, this morning we had up the, the latest uh, fur- furthest shot ever by the guys from Dude Perfect, right. the trick shots. Right. Uh, I mean, those guys, I definitely want to know how – all I want to know is how many times they had to do it before they make one of those shots where it's, like, dropped. I don't know if you've seen the latest one. They yeah, dropped it from, like, the, I mean, it looks like they're in Vegas at the top, right. you know, the, the MGM Grand or something. But if they do it on the first try, then I'm really impressed. Well, I need I need to figure out um, how we can scramble up their telephone numbers because talk about some perfect guests for the Hangtime Podcast. Yeah, absolutely. You know, basketball fiends if there ever were. See, let's see if they can make one uh, within our little cramped studio space. <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. Uh, Lang Whitaker, uh, our one of our other regulars, is out today. He is uh, tending to some hangout, you know, uh, time in New York City. Uh, so, Lang, um, if you're, you know, if you can't get it all in this week, you know, try and fill it up this weekend and get yourself back on the podcast next Monday. I just wonder if it has anything to do with the fact the Braves made the playoffs. I, I, I didn't want to go there, but <laughs> then I saw Bobby Cox on TV, and I thought, laying somewhere right now, dancing like a fool. <laughs> but, no, we'll, we'll miss him today and, uh, and hopefully see him uh, back here next week. Um, Mike, the season started technically, you know, training camp, and I still feel like – we're waiting for, you know what I mean? Like, you you know until the regular season starts, we're waiting for something. But by the time people are hearing this, we're going to be a few hours away from the Miami Heat's first preseason game against Detroit, which have you ever seen more buildup for for any team in any sport than you have for this team? Not really. And it's funny because 
it just seems like wherever LeBron goes, this is what happens. Because I remember when they broadcast his high school games on ESPN, yeah. and everyone was like, I've never seen them roll out this kind of treatment. Yeah. For... So, you know, I guess, obviously, he's used to this kind of treatment. But it does seem crazy. But at the same time, how can you not? You not? Yeah. Because we were talking about this on the way down here. Whether or not people are rooting for him or for the Heat to succeed or whether they want to see them fall on their butts – you're still going to watch either way, so you'd be crazy not to take advantage of it. I, I'm torn because I love watching the entire league. Like I'm a fan of the obscure players, the obscure teams. Everybody knows about my infatuation with Luke Rittenauer and the you know the Memphis Grizzlies, who we dubbed the Hangtime Grizzlies. I mean, I love the underdog in in the oddball, in the you know in the the guys who you never really see on the marquee in the league. But I'm, I'm going to have a hard time pulling myself away from these heat games all year. Like, how do you not watch them every night? How do you not sit there at night and, and make sure you watch for their scroll and to see what that score was? Or to be on NBA.com looking at the box score every night just to see, did Bosch get 20 tonight? Or, did you know, who went off for the heat? Did How many did they win by? Because um, I'm curious to see the reaction of opposing teams. I mean, I've talked to several players around the league in the last few weeks. And I am I'm really stunned at the level of animosity, and it's not an evil thing or some you know where they want to take a cheap shot, but they want a piece of this team. And I've been talking about it all summer. I've I don't remember a time when there was a team that was kind of the favorite where everybody wanted a piece of them like this. That sounds like it's going to be a good thing to me. I mean, it's it's definitely uncharted territory, and I feel like. The future of the NBA, not to you know get too hyped, but like <laughs> oh, you the think? future of the NBA <laughs> Might as well. could, could really turn on this because if they're successful, you know what uh, what is what's the expression? Uh, nothing uh, the nothing imitates success like success. I'm getting that way wrong. <laughs> but if it's successful, then all the other teams are going to want to do that, and all the other players in the league are going to want to do that. And you see that playing itself out a little bit with CP3 in New Orleans and right. with Carmelo in Denver. You know, maybe they weren't thinking about leaving until they saw these guys do this, and now they're like, "Well, I got to get my own, you know, threesome together with NBA players." Right. Uh, so, you know, and if it's not successful, then maybe that's a cautionary tale. So, it, I think it'll be very interesting this first year, especially because no one knows how it's going to work out. I, I think it's interesting what Steve Kerr told us on episode twenty-five of the uh, podcast when he mentioned that everybody can want to copy this, but you got to go out and find three more stars to to, to pair up you know, and to make into this super team. And there aren't that many to go around. Like Carmelo Anthony and CP3 could be a part of a potential mega team in New York or wherever, depending on what goes down. Um, And we'll talk some more about Carmelo uh, on the show here later. But I'm just not sure where you – how you can keep doing this summer after summer, year after year, and everybody thinks this is okay. It's it's great the way they're doing it now, but I don't know that I want to see this happen – over and over again. Well, not with this kind of media coverage for sure. What? Uh, <laughs> you don't want to move to uh, – we could set up shop and, you know, move to wherever the next hot spot's going to be. Let's get ahead of the curve. Let's just guess. Maybe we'll talk to the bosses and guess where the next mega team's going to be and see if we can't beat beat everybody else to the point <coughs> and set up Atlanta. shop there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you keep dreaming about your Hawks getting it right. Um, you know – there's so much. There's so much else going on. Um, in in addition to the season starting up, last week, something we had on the Hangtime blog about the new rules in the D League, and how that might impact the NBA. And 
what better time to have somebody we've been trying to get on the show for a long time, uh, Randy Livingston, uh, who's a very familiar name to, to basketball heads around the world. Certainly you and I have talked about him quite a bit. Uh, is finally here joining us on the Hangtime Podcast. Randy, how are you? I'm great, man. Uh, Michael Hart is here with me as well. Um, How's it going, Randy? Everything's going great. You uh, and we've been. This is strange. Now we got you on here because uh, we've been. Micah's brought your name up a, a million times. He's like, man, we got to get Randy. You know, we got to get Randy Livingston on the podcast. And I was like, you're right. You know, and it just so happened that the rules changes in the D League that that are being implemented this season happen, and we thought, what better person to bring on to find out what kind of impact, specifically the goaltending rule you think we'll have not only in the D-League but potentially in the NBA? No, I think it'll have a, a, um, a, a, a good bit of impact. I was part of the D-League four years ago when they used it, and I can remember vividly one or two games getting impacted um, in terms of win-loss um, in one of the games I played in as a player in the D-League. Um, as the NBA and FIBA tried to – make a universal rule for all of basketball across the world and how they're able to come closer in terms of making one universal rule. I think it's kind of important that, you know, we start to test things out. When we had our coaches meeting maybe a couple of weeks ago, you know, they talked about how they charted some of the goaltending issues in the world championship game. And, you know, I think it's good for, you know, just the game of basketball in general to have one set of rules. So, I think by us in the D-League using it this year, I know for sure, you know, when I'm doing my draft, I'm going to look for some athletic, whether it's wing players or big guys that can, you know, actually, you know, be able to, you know, use that rule to our advantage. And I just think for sure in our league on the free throw line, you'll see a lot more, um, not only preparation, but teaching you know, but I think it'll take some time to get implemented fully in our league because you gotta go, you gotta realize the guys have been taught for so long to leave the ball, you know, off leave it alone on the rim. So you right. know, it'll take some adjustment, but I think it'll be good for our league in the long run. Sure, Randy, you're, this is your first year as a head coach in the D League, and I know you played for a few years. With some of the changes they're making with how uh, teams can send players to the D League, um, you know, you obviously spent a lot of years uh, in the NBA as well as the D League. What's what's your sense for where the D League stands right now in terms of providing talent to the NBA? Um, I think it's great. Um, last year it was a record call up and guys getting called up, and I hope the trend continues this upcoming season. Um, I I think uh, one rule significantly that will impact it and have a greater um, thing with the D League and the NBA teams is just that now in training camp. You know, my affiliations is Portland and Denver. I can get three players from those teams, that guys that are rookies or veterans that go to training camp and that don't have any rights from a previous D-League team, I can get those guys straight to my team here in, in, in Boise, Idaho. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really excited just about building that relationship with the, the affiliate teams. I mean, I think it brings us closer. We can talk before they start training camp. We can talk about guys who I've targeted that guys I think will be good D-League players. And I, I think any time you have that communication and synergy between the D-League team and its parent teams or affiliate teams, 
I mean, I think it's awesome. I mean, it's just bringing the league closer and closer. And I think one day, I can't say if it's five years or ten years from now, I think it will be a one-to-one, um, mm. you know, situation with D-League teams and NBA teams. And I think that's just where the league's going. Right. Randy, how strange is it for you now after all those years of being a player um, and, and being a player of of absolutely elite you know, stature. I mean, I'm not sure if, if people uh, remember or understand, you know, that you were the pl- high school player of the year, um, you know, in 1992. I mean, that's, you know, it's funny to me when Micah mentioned it and, and we heard you on the phone, t- you know, saying this is coach. Um, <laughs> because I think I feel a little bit older hearing it, but how strange is that for you now being on the other side of the game, uh, that you for so long toiled in as a player? Well, for me, it's not strange because I had started preparing for a while, probably the last four years, Mm -hmm. um, five years. I was fortunate enough to, you know, while I was in the D-League, play for Coach Brian Gates. But I had, as part of all of the draft processes, I sat on meetings all the time. One year as a player, he let me do the defensive philosophy concept for the team then the next year I came back he let me do the offensive philosophy but I think I had started preparing for it for a while so I wasn't surprised um and and to tell you the truth the transition has been you know as good as it can get I'm getting some on-site training some you know the whole time during that time and then the last two years I was an assistant coach under coach Gates and then last year under Austin Ainge which was a wonderful experience you know, dealing with those guys in Maine with John Jennings and then able to go to the Celtics training camp, be around the Celtics doing um, playoff preparation, going spend some time in summer league with Larry Brown. Um, I just took advantage of those relationships. And um, like I said, it was just something I prepared for. I wasn't surprised at all. Um, and then I've taken the steps. So it wasn't like I've been thrusted into this situation. I think I'm fully prepared for this situation in the D-League and really looking forward to this year. Randy, when you look at the players that play in the D-League, I mean, with with few exceptions, you know, a guy like Hashim Thabit, most of these guys are not the guys who were lottery picks, uh, or if they were, I mean, it's been several years. But generally speaking, if you're in the D-League, you've, you're have you probably having to overcome some adversity if you're trying to make the, the NBA and get to that next level. How much do you lean on your past experience uh, of overcoming adversity in your career, uh, and how much do your players, you know, lean on that? Um, I, I think a lot. Um, one of my strengths as a coach is just having to go through those experiences and adversities, like you said. Um, you know, first I got hurt after being player of the year my junior and senior year in high school, and then going to LSU and getting hurt and have to work my way through the system, getting drafted by the Rockets um, in 1996, and then the very next year, not have a job and continue to work at it, proving, you know, that I belong in the NBA. And I think every year as a player, you have to decide what you want to work on to get better or what you want to prove to the people out there that evaluate you that you belong. And the one thing, like I said, is a strength of mine is that I've been through that process. So when I have a younger player, whether it's a guy that has NBA experience or whether it's a guy that for whatever reason didn't get drafted out of college, I definitely get can definitely relate to that that player and and I mean he could you know take it and say this guy has been through it and you know I know he knows what he's talking to because he was able to overcome those adversities and make it to the NBA and play 10 plus years in the NBA so I think that's a 
great strength of mine as a coach and something that even we've had two um, open tryouts this year for our team here in Idaho Stampede, and that's the first message I give those guys, you know, when we get together in the beginning is that I've walked in you guys' shoes. You know, not too many guys when they deal with a head coach, you know, can say they had the experience that I've had and, and able to tell them that I've walked in their shoes and that, you know, if there's anyone in the business, especially in minor league basketball, that can help them get to whatever level that may be, whether it's overseas or in the NBA, I think I could show those guys the way. So, I mean, I think that's a great strength, you know, for myself to, to be able to talk to the guys about. Yeah. Randy, I'm, I'm curious, how long did it take you um, after, you know, we talked about the series of injuries? I'm Surely you knew that, you know, as a junior and senior in high school, you were one of the elite-level players. How long does it take you to come down from the fact that the injuries might prevent you from reaching your own personal goals in the game, just as a player? Well, I mean, it was different for me because I um, never looked at it as it would not allow me to achieve what I could achieve everybody else's thoughts in Mm -hmm. terms of what I was going to be as a player coming out of high school. But I just looked at it as I was just going to do the best that I could do and make the most out of the situation I had. I never was going to use it as a crutch or something that somebody says, well, he got hurt and he's just quite night the same. I just did the best that I could do. I I just, when I made my decision to enter the draft, it was one of those years where they implemented, if you didn't have an agent, you can go back to school. But once I put my name in the draft, I just told myself that I was going to do whatever I needed to do to make it in the NBA. And and who knew it was going to be 10-plus years of playing in the NBA. I just did whatever route it took. I knew every year at the beginning of the season, if I didn't have a guaranteed roster, I was going to put on my working boots, train, and give myself the best possible chance to play in the NBA. And I said at the end of my career, the day I didn't get called up or the day I didn't play in the NBA or the year I didn't play in the NBA, I kind of figured it was time to to move on. And so, and that happened that way. And then I just felt fortunate, you know. And I thank God every day for all of the the time that I spent in the NBA and was able to overcome those adversities. Randy, we talked a little bit before, uh, just talking about you being the player of the year in high school when you were at Newman. At the same time, I believe uh, Peyton Manning also there, uh, player of the high, player of the year in high school. We were wondering who who was like the big man on <laughs> campus back then. Who kind of had the the bigger following? Oh, for sure, me. Because every year, every year tried to get me to come out to play football. Because if I would have came out, I was actually a very good football player. I just chose to play basketball because I gotten better so fast. They would have won a state championship. But as a basketball player at Newman, we won three, and he didn't win any. So I know for sure I was the big man on campus. Because <laughs> I, I see, I grew up in Mississippi. I had a lot of friends that went to Newman, and I know some people that played some of the sports there. And I don't think any of them could have could have hung with either of you guys. No, definitely, and, and it, it's, it's it's just so weird. It makes Newman look like this big juggernaut of awesome talent, and just a two-year span, you had, you know, two guys who were Gatorade Player of the Year, and so it's just weird. And then Eli comes behind us. So, and then I saw an article maybe a couple months back in Sports Illustrated where Newman was, you know, up there highly ranked, and you know, my name was in there as one of the professional athletes, but. You know, don't get me wrong. Newman is more known for academics than athletics. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and was that something, you know, that's instilled in you? Because um, I've been to Newman. I, I went down and, and uh, did some stuff when Eli was there. Um, and 
did was that something that's instilled in in you guys as student athletes there? I mean, just how you have to prepare yourself for the game and beyond the game. Because I mean, talking to you and then listening to Peyton Manning talk, there seems like there's there's been some some real uh, foreshadowing of what you have to do, not just on and off the field, but in life and and how to be successful beyond the games. No, definitely. Um, Newman is definitely an academic institute first in school, and I, I just think between my high school coach and all of the teachers and faculty there, you know, it just prepared us for life after basketball. Um, and, but sometimes you take take it for it for their advantage, you know, not knowing all of the schooling that you did, getting all of the people that you ran across in that in, in that environment, because there's some really high scholars in Newman and people of high places that that went to that school. So I think when you look back, you just it was just in, instilled in you that you know it was more than life than playing sports. You know, you had to take care of business in school, and then afterwards what your relationships that you had from that school and just in the greater New Orleans area, you know, you're able to do some things. And I think Peyton has done a wonderful job, you know, thanks to his father, Archie. I've been knowing him since they were little anyway, when we were 10, 11, 12 years old, that, you know, he does a marvelous job with his passing academy. Right. And, you know, just in the past three, four months, I've gone back and started some AAU basketball stuff for the youth there where they have a chance to, you know, experience some of the things that I did growing up and give them a chance to be exposed to some different things. But we definitely have been well-schooled in that in that, in that that way where, you know, there's more in life than sports and athletics. So Newman offers that. It's very impressive. It's, to it's, the students. Yeah, it's very impressive. Um, Randy, listen, we, we're going to be rooting for the, uh, the Idaho Stampede around here. Um, Appreciate it. Yeah, we definitely, definitely want to see big things. talking to you guys some more and also you know whenever you guys want to have me on i'm ready hopefully we can win a d-league championship up here this year so i'm looking forward to the season now you guys no got to get a you're going to get a blue court up there to go with the uh the football field or? no no blue court <laughs> and, and i'm slowly but surely they have me changing to a boise state fan you know i'm still a big sec football guy and lsu tiger but you know i think coach peterson does a great job up here and you know, slowly but surely, they're 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 convincing me. But, yeah, you know, I was just the national championship. Game. I was just going to ask you. You you grew up in the SEC country. Do you think Boise State, if they uh, run the table, you think they got a, 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 a an argument? Um, they have an argument, but they won't get in. And then, <laughs> you know, I love less miles to debt, but I'm pushing for those guys down there. I said every win Coach Pete gets, it's probably about a million dollars added to his salary. So, yeah, <laughs> we can get them down in, in Baton Rouge. But, you know, hopefully the Tigers pull together and play well this week in Florida. <laughs> no doubt. Hey, Randy, thank you so much for joining us, man. Okay, thanks for having me. All right. All right. I mean, we are, hit, we are batting so sweet. This, this summer for guests. I mean, Randy Livingston, think about it now. If you go back in in the old street in Smith's, and I know you collect them like I do, Micah, Randy Livingston was the man when he was in high school now. It, it's funny, was, and I, I wonder how real. I wonder, you know, anybody that's in high school or, you know, college now that listen to this are probably like, Randy Livingston. Randy Livingston, yeah. But you're right. He was the tr- – I mean, before Jason Kidd, yeah. in my mind, it was like, all right, he was the point guard, and then Jason Kidd was the next point guard. After him, and I forgot he was the two years in a row he won. Yeah, the Gatorade. You know, and the Gatorade is is not just a basketball award. It's for the best student athlete. I think is the technical way that the Gatorade award is handed out. Um, but I just remembered read I, a story I read about it years ago. It mentioned that Randy Livingston went to this small private school in New Orleans, Newman School, and that his one of his classmates was the son of 
you know, Archie Manning, blah, blah, blah. All these years later, you know, sharp people tend to, to rise to the top in whatever field they go into. I think he's a success story for a lot of people only because he didn't let whatever limitations physically or, or in the game curtail what he wanted to achieve as a person. That's, I mean, I know we get hokey sometimes here on the on the podcast, but I like to I like to talk to good people. I mean, we talked to Kenny Anderson. You know, I, I like to hear a good Hollywood ending to somebody's story, man. And that, and that's another one, very interesting. You know, it's going to be fun to watch. Um, you know what they do out there in Idaho. I'm rooting for them. Like I said, I think we all are because you want to see good things happen to good people. And this guy, this guy's got it. Well, and you know who knows what his you know career plans are if he exactly. wants to get to the NBA or whatever. But I can't think of anybody sort of like what we talked about who is better suited to coach people who are trying to get their careers to that next level because he's seen it all. I mean, he, even with the limitations and all the injuries, he still, still played, played in the league a, for exactly. 10 years. Which, which is, again, an indicator of just how talented this guy was. He's running around with two bad knees, basically, his entire career, and he still found a way to make rosters. I mean, it's impressive stuff. Um, we turn the page from, from the D-League back to uh, the NBA and what's – at hand around the league, and I was I was surprised, frankly, at the response of people about that goaltending rule change. I want to get back to that. I don't I don't know that I'm convinced that it changes the game as much as some people uh, think it might, but I certainly would be interested to see how it affects the game at the NBA level, and we won't see it for at least a year. Um, but are you curious? If that makes some guys more effective, you know, guys like Luis Scola, who have been playing with those international rules their entire careers, other than when they've been in the NBA, are you curious to see how that impacts their game? I mean, I definitely, like you said, I mean, you would think off the bat that guys that have been playing international ball would certainly have at least, a, you know, a head start in getting used to that. I just like the fact that the league is using the, the D-League for that purpose, not just to groom talent, but also to groom the game for the future, to figure out, you know, to me, the the hardest thing for all the major sports is to look at the past and be able to say, you know what, this used to work, but it doesn't work anymore, and we need to make changes. And those changes are always hard to hard to get through. Uh, so you know, things like the goaltending rule, you know, it's great to see them whether they make that change or not. It's great to see them at least taking a look at it. Yeah. And you know, now they'll have you know a whole year of of games to say. Well, does this translate to, to you know, the American system, or is it better left international? And I do think for sure it's it's good to eventually have the same rules at all levels: international, you know, D League, NBA, etc. Right, right. It, it's one of those weird things. I, I've wondered why for a long time. The thing that used to irk me to no end was the three point rule. Like, why it was? Why would you not make it a universal three point rule so everybody's playing the, essentially the same game? The goaltending rule is another step, I think, in the direction of closing that gap, which I wrote about um, at the time. But, I mean, I just think it's another rule that allows you to meld the international game, the NBA game together, because it needs to be one. I mean, and I think you've seen that from David Stern has talked about it. Uh, you know, the people from FIBA have talked about it for years, about how they have to find ways to to marry those similarities and make sure this is all one thing. So it'll be interesting to see where we go from here. Um but again, we we, we got to turn that page and make sure we get to some of the other hot button issues going on around the league right now. Carlos Boozer, uh, the news comes out 
that he's gonna miss two. Are you smile? That's cold. That he's gonna miss two months. I, you know, I feel bad for the guy, but I wish I could have bought stock in him getting hurt. <laughs> I mean, I just there's just some players that just they cannot keep from getting injured, yeah. and you know it's funny. And look, I Boozer's an amazing player, and as long as he's back, you know, yeah, as long as they make the playoffs and he's back healthy to the playoffs, you know, it probably doesn't matter all that much. But in you know in this sort of free agency 2010, everybody throwing money around, I think people kind of maybe forgot a little bit that this is why he was a free agent in the first place right. because right. he can't seem to stay half his time for, in Utah. Yeah, he was half of his time as as a member of the Utah Jazz. He was hurt, um, you know, and nobody can dispute you know Carlos Boozer's numbers and the impact he has when he's healthy, but it's. If if you're healthy 50% of the time, it's it's hard to argue those statistics as well. So it's uh, when I first heard about it, I just kind of shook my head and thought, wow, you know, of all people to get hurt in you know after this huge free agent summer, you if you're going to flip a coin and say, all right, which one of these guys will it be? I guarantee you, 75% of the people would have said. Or seventy five percent of the people would have said Boozer, no doubt. Yeah, Mario Sadermeyer somewhere going, Phew Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> thank, <ain't> <laughs> thank goodness. You know, I mean and I, you feel bad picking on those guys. Um I got a great email from a guy today who uh who who grew up with Boozer in Alaska and, and he kinda t- took me to task about something that was in the in the post that I that I wrote about Boozer that that was uh off that we had to change. But he you know, he kinda was like, Man, he's like we're all feeling this for him because those sorts of things Follow a guy through his career, man. When you get bit with that injury bug, or you're the guy that's always hurt, or you're the, you know, or you're the guy who never comes through in the playoffs. Whatever. I mean, you forget how many people feel that like. Because I wrote about it, just kind of almost flippant, you know, thinking like, oh, here we go again with Boozer being hurt. But then you find these people who've been following him his whole career, and it's like they they die a thousand deaths every time they hear about him getting hurt again. Like, oh, not again, you know. Um, and I'm sure there are tons of fans in Chicago who feel the same way. Well, you know, but you know, hopefully two months, uh, it's not the end of the world. It's still just the start of October. You know, he gets back, maybe misses a month of the season or so. I'll say one thing for him. He's he knows how to he knows the drill. You know, yeah, maybe nobody nobody rehabs better. Yeah, nobody <laughs> nobody can rehab better than Carlos Boozer. Good for him. We I mean, we're not making fun of him or at least not that much. <laughs> we, you know, good luck to him getting back healthy. It's gonna be interesting to see what that does to the Bulls and the in the in the pecking order in Eastern Conference for these first two months because I'm of the ilk that you have to get off to a hot start with Miami trying to set a record pace, Boston realizing they have to play at a faster clip early in the year to keep pace with Miami. You're not going to be able to start 10, 12 games behind the pack and think you're going to catch up later in the year. you got to stay with the race from the very start or you're going to get left. Let me ask you this, just since we're talking about his injury – and the other news out of Chicago in the last day or so is Joe Kim Noah That's signing right. an extension to stay That's with right. the Bulls. If you watch the video of him on uh, Bulls.com. Classic. I-, I love it. I mean, I feel like a lot of times you see that interview and the guys, they don't really, you know, they don't betray their emotions. Joe Kim looks like a guy who just got handed a giant check. Yes. Uh, you know, like they do at golf tournaments <laughs> and when Publishers Clearinghouse comes yes. to the door. But I wonder if that changes Anything with, and I hate to get back to it, but I know we're going to talk about it in a little bit anyway, the Carmelo Anthony situation. Because I know Chicago was the place he definitely wanted to go. Does this change anything for the Bulls not having Boozer for the foreseeable future? Are you, that's a great question, Mike. I, 
I don't know that it can because if I'm the Bulls, I'm a, I'm already ready to compete without Carmelo, or at least they believe they were. They went, you know, they left the summer thinking we've got a top four team in the East, and that's all you can ask for is to be in that mix for a home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs, and to give yourself a chance to compete, you know, uh, at that at that elite level in your conference. You can't do anything if you don't start there. Um, there's been so much talk about Carmelo and where he might go. I don't think the Bulls have gotten themselves wrapped up in it. Point, you know, point being Joe Kim Noah getting the extension. He was the name, the first name tossed around as a potential piece in a package to go to Denver to bring Carmelo to Chicago, and the Bulls were not having it. And I I agree with Paxson and, and, and all the people in Chicago who believe that Joe Kim Noah is a huge part of what they got going on there along with Derrick Rose, obviously, when Boozer, when he's healthy, Luol Deng, Tosh Gibson, and whoever else you want to throw in there, they've got something good going there, and you can't afford to let that slip away for what you hope might be a a chance at something bigger with Carmelo. But now, like you said, it it gets really sticky because say Boozer's out two months, and then he comes back and he's not the old Carlos Boozer. He can't find his rhythm. He's got to try and get some chemistry with this team that he hasn't been able to practice with and go 100, you know, 100 miles an hour with for two months. That, that's where you get nervous. Well, and, you know, every situation is different, and by no means am I saying that this will definitely happen to him, but look what happened in Philadelphia when Elton Brand got exactly. hurt and when he came back. That's a great point. You know, you, you can't – I don't think you can put a price tag on how important it is when you're bringing in a free agent, especially a high-dollar, you know, big-name free agent – when you're bringing him into a new environment where he's expected to kind of be. And this is the one difference with, I think, Elton Brand and Carlos Boozer is this was clearly Derrick Rose's team. Boozer was coming in to be that kind of guy who gets you over the hump, but not the bell cow. He wasn't going to be, this is Carlos Boozer's team. With Elton Brand, they made a clear choice. They could have gone after Josh Smith, who was a young guy to add to their young mix, or they could have go for a proven commodity in Elton Brand who was going to come in and basically be the identity of that team. In Philly, it didn't work out. Elton Brand gets hurt, and they, they've been reeling ever since, basically. You know, new coach, um, Doug Collins is there now, you know, see how he fares. But, I mean, that one decision and whatever the ramifications are, if some guy gets hurt or something goes wrong, can affect you going forward. All right, Micah, now we, we've mentioned his name a zillion times today on, on the podcast here. we got to get to the bottom of this. Carmelo – I know it's a, I know I know it seems like an old story now, um, because so much of the media day uh, attention has died down. But it's like a, it's like it's, it's got me itching. I still, <laughs> I still feel like this thing is not done. Um, should we just assume that it's it's put to bed for now and and wait for the next flare? But wait till the, you know, the trade deadline to, to revisit this or. Well, the short answer is yes, because <laughs> I'm sure that's that's how it will play out. Right. But whenever there's a deal that it just everyone's like agreed, okay, this is the deal that's going to happen, and then it doesn't, and then you don't hear anything for a while, I feel like it always ends up being something like the Spurs <laughs> that come out of nowhere right. and give, you know, like some future draft pick and end up with a guy. I mean, I'm not saying the, this is not breaking news. Right. The Spurs are not getting Carmelo Anthony necessarily, but it always seems like something like that when it gets quiet all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, I – what I don't understand is, and, and I know you had something about this today in in this vein on the 
all ball blog. <laughs> uh, the Hangtime blog had something about it as well. Um, this dilemma that teams are having, you know, with the CBA negotiations ongoing, um, nobody wants to be a free agent, you know. Nobody wants to be in limbo in the summer of 2011. And the strange part about it for Carmelo Anthony is he's going to command max dollars no matter where he goes. So he basically can pick and choose his destination. If it's not Denver, you would assume that he would just say, hey, I'm not signing the extension. I'm going to go into this summer no matter what might happen. I know I'm, I'm Carmelo Anthony. My stock is high. Like I'm, I'm a blue chip dude. I can I can survive whatever comes in the summer of 2011. I I haven't figured out yet why it would be such a pressing thing for him to get out of Denver right now. It, I mean, honestly, and you know, you can never know what's going through someone else's mind or what's going on in that situation. But I I I know you and I have argued about this before in the past. But I still don't understand why he doesn't think Denver can be a, a viable place to to spend the next several years, especially when you think the other options are. New Jersey or or wherever, I don't see why those situations are any better than what he has. Uh, Though, obviously, there's a lot of turmoil there with some of the turnover in the front office. But, you know, to me, it just seems like there must be more to the story than I know that he's so hot to get out of there. Yeah, uh, well, we've, we've discussed it. I think when you get to the conference finals or the NBA finals with a team and then you regress, there's this inevitable feeling from the player that, all right, well, we had our chance, and now it's going. You know what I mean? Like, we took our swing. We missed. T- time to move on. That team's older. They've they've been pulled apart by injuries and whatever other drama. George Carl's situation, obviously. They've had a lot of stuff going on. They haven't been able to kind of recapture that, you know, that feel they had when they played the Lakers in the West Conference Finals. And once you lose it, Mike, I think it's it's just a natural reaction to think, okay, well, that's it. And I think that's what Carmelo is. And it's it's different for him than it is for Chauncey Billups or Kenya Martin and those other veterans on that team is because he's at the other end of the spectrum of his career than they are in terms of age and experience. No, there's no – I mean, there's no doubt about that. His perspective is completely different than what, you know, the other guys on his team are looking at. I just – sometimes – you know, a, a team doesn't make it uh, because of injuries, and sometimes they don't make it because they're not good enough. And I guess my thought on the Nuggets is I'm not – in the same way that I'm not convinced that the Suns should be considered, uh, you know, catastrophe for the Nash-Dantoni regime because they never won anything, I think maybe they could have won some things if things – I'm saying the word things a lot, but things could have gone differently for them if – Joe Johnson doesn't break his face against right. the Spurs if Boris and Amari don't get suspended. I mean, there were circumstances that contributed to the downfall of the Suns in those playoffs. What if George Carl was healthy last year? You know, what that that was a good team last year. They had right. good new players that came in and played their roles. Is it something that's going to be like that the next five years? Uh, maybe not. So in that respect, okay, maybe Carmelo does need to move on or is thinking maybe he needs to move on. But it, it, for for present day, I'm not sold that if the Nuggets came back and everybody you know played the same roles a year ago, they couldn't challenge the Lakers' supremacy. Because you know the Lakers won the title last year, and we seem to sort of dismiss everything that happened before they won the title, which is we had a lot of conversations on the podcast 
all the second half of last season talking about whether or not the Lakers were done. So, you know, the Lakers' stranglehold on the West maybe isn't as strong as we think it is. Maybe last year was their last hurrah. We won't know that until the season gets underway. But I I just, I don't know. I like Denver. I just, I like the players they have there. I just think you like the city. of Like, you must have some <laughs> affinity for the city of Denver. I mean, they're not, and this is going to give me in so much trouble with, and I got a cousin <laughs> that lives in Denver. He's a diehard Nuggets fan. They had their shot. It's, they they already did this, and they could, you know they weren't better than the Lakers. Like they couldn't, they couldn't get over the hump. It's not you know, it's just not gonna happen. Well, I mean that's that's <laughs> what, that's what it looks like to me. So I know it must feel like a you know this end of the road situation for Carmelo because I think a lot of people look at it like hey. Here comes Oklahoma City. Here comes this team. You know, here come these other teams to take their place. You know what's interesting though about that? Now that you're saying that, is that I, I often feel like players usually view it the other way. I feel <laughs> like it's rare, honestly. I feel like it's rare that players are like, "I, I we've peaked, and I need to get out of here because it's never going to be as good as it was." I feel like too often, you know, it's that it's that war like mentality. You know, these are my boys, and this is who I'm going to war with. Where you're like. You know, I mean, look at Joe Johnson in Atlanta. Yeah. I think a lot of people outside of Atlanta would say the Hawks have gotten as good as they're going to get with right. their current roster. But you ask the guys on that team, they're like, we think we can win. You know, we believe in ourselves kind of thing. So it's weird almost to hear Carmelo Anthony, you know, basically take the exact opposite tack and say, you know what, I, I think we've reached our peak here, and I and it's time for me to move on. Yeah, I- <sighs> I know, we, we, we've been arguing about this for months now, <laughs> like since it, since free agency started, and every everybody's known that Carmelo Anthony is going to be the headliner for the next free agent class if we get to that point. And why would you know he has to weigh his options now? I think this is where the the much discussed dis- the decision comes into play for Carmelo Anthony. Same way it does for Chris Paul, um, potentially for some other guys who will be free agents in the years to come. They they will all start to reevaluate when they get to a point when they're the most powerful as a free agent. You figure Carmelo's not going to have another time in his career when he's at the peak of his powers, when he's this young, still considered the type of franchise player that can carry a team and do all the things he can do, and and be ready to go. So, you know, they all have to start looking at it from this perspective. I think every one of them has to. And, you know, we could talk we could talk it to death, but let's why not talk to somebody who who knows this Carmelo situation inside and out? Um Mark Spears of Yahoo Sports, who's been on top of the, all of this stuff from you know from the start. Make let's let's see if he can make us understand why this this dilemma is going on. Mark, what's up, man? What's listen? Hey, you back at work, huh? <laughs> <laughs> now you got to put me on front street like. See, that. I like I like a guest that comes on and just starts hating. Is that not cold? First, not even you know two words out of his mouth. Unbelievable. Mark Spears of Yahoo Sports joining us on the Hang Time Podcast. Mark, we've been arguing about Micah is of the the opinion that. Carmelo should be overjoyed to stay in Denver for the next seven years 
and lead, you know, and lead the victory parade down whatever the main strip is in Denver. Spear, Spear Street. Spear Street. Named after. Named me. after. Yeah, named after you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm of the notion that they had their their chance, and now Carmelo sees that and is realizing that hey, if I'm gonna compete for a championship, it's not gonna be here in Denver. Now, you you have a better perspective than than either one of us. Make us understand this. You know what, man? I'm, I know I ripped you out the gate, but I'm going to have to lean more towards what you're saying. <laughs> and um, uh, the, re- the reason is this. I mean, if you look at their roster, I think their roster makes Carmelo very nervous. Um, you know, Chauncey could get bought out of the last year of his deal next right. year for about $3.7 million, I believe. Nene is going to be a free agent. Kenyon will be a free agent. Um Aaron Aflalo will be a free agent. J.R. Smith's a free agent. Um, so basically, and they include Carmelo will be a free agent. Right. That's the core group of their team. And right now, I think he's nervous that, you know, he could quickly be in a rebuilding situation if he decides to return. Now, you don't even know if George Carl is going to be back. Right. Keep in mind, uh, Gergerich is is gone. Right. And Gergerich and Mel were really close. Gergerich, Tim Gergerich, is kind of behind-the-scenes agent, I mean, uh, assistant coach, development coach, that a lot of those guys on that team really respected. He's gone. There was even an assistant coach, and I'm, I'm maybe even giving, doing too much inside <laughs> baseball, an assistant coach named Jamal Mosley right. who went to the Cleveland Cavaliers, who is basically like the go-between between George and the players. Right. He's gone. So there's just so much change. Uh, you just lost two GMs, so much stuff up in the air. I think he's, like, really confused as to what the direction of the franchise is. And now, you know, you have a new GM who I think is going to do a fine job in Masai Ujiri. But I think with just all the confusion over the summer, you know, Mello, Mello would rather try something else. Uh, but I'm, I'm confident that he won't go anywhere unless he thinks it's going to be better than where he is already. Do you think it's unfair for us to assume that this is this is whole thing is rooted in some sort of uh, lack of confidence in the new setup they're going to have out there? Not so much in Masai, but in the fact that the the ownership is changing hands from an experienced guy who's you know who's been the owner of a lot of teams to his son, who I don't know what kind of relationship he you know. Josh Kroenke and Carmelo have, but mm-hmm. if you're Carmelo and you see LeBron and D Wade and Chris Bosh and Amari and some of your contemporaries yeah. getting into these situations where it looks like they're gonna compete for championships in the next five or six years, and you potentially could be left in Denver by yourself yeah. with a with a you know, starting from scratch in a lot of ways, is some of his angst rooted in that? You forgot Chris Paul, you know. Yeah, exactly. With him, uh feeling how he felt yeah i mean you know and all these guys are represented by caa so you know i'm wondering if they're telling them that you got to be in a place where you're going to be more marketable you know if you look at cleveland where lebron was where new orleans where cp is and where mellow is in denver they're not the most marketable towns right um but i think what these guys don't realize is if you're nice it don't matter where you play (laughs) You'll still get the shoe contract. Right. You know, you'll still get the money. And I think that's the one thing that makes Melo nervous and makes him want to do something now 
is he's worried about, you know, the CBA. Right. And it expires next summer, and what deal will I get? What kind of money will I have? Will I take a major pay cut? Will I make $12 million instead of $18, 20000000 million if I don't, you know, uh, re-up now? Mm-hmm. But the thing about Mello is, and, and, you know, I interviewed Kobe Bryant on, on about this, and Kobe and, and Mello are quietly very good friends, very mm-hmm. close. And Kobe said the advice, and I think this is fantastic advice to give Mello is, don't make a move just for the sake of moving. Make a move because it's a good move. You know, and, and I think in some ways maybe the Nuggets are trying to, you know, make some kind of acquisition that would make Mello more comfortable staying and trying to convince him to stay. But it seems like his mind is made up. But he shouldn't rush. There's still a lot of time for him to, you know, before the trade deadline, if he's worried about getting that extension, make sure that if you're going to make that move, you know, that that there's not a shadow of a doubt that you think it's the best thing for you. And one thing, Sekou, I think is would be smart to do, and please weigh in on it, in mid-December, that's when free agents that, that signed this past offseason can be dealt. Yeah, it's a great So point. come that time, I think teams interested in them, better teams interested in them, could probably offer uh, better packages for them. Like, no. like D-Wade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or Carlos Boozer, for yeah. example. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. Um, that's why we call him Mark. Um, Mark, I, <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, because – we were just commenting about the fact that so much of the attention on this Carmelo story came and went with media day and with all of the things that everybody says to reassure each other and, and the fans and the media on me, you know, on that first day. Um, mm-hmm. But surely the nuggets are working the phones. You know, everybody is still working behind the scenes. I would imagine to see if there's a resolution that appeases everybody. Yeah. Well, you know what? He he's obviously taking some really good acting classes, and in, in, <laughs> during his time living in LA, cause I've been listening to these quotes, and they've been fantastic. Mark, <laughs> let me ask you this: uh, It seems like with you know we're in this new era with uh, the Super Friends in Miami. It doesn't, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but it doesn't seem like three NBA players on different teams have ever like gotten together before and said, "Hey." You know, why let other people determine our fate? We can determine our own fate. And now it almost seems to me like Carmelo and and Chris Paul and those guys have kind of looked at that and said, whoa, you know, we never really considered going about it that way. Are we are we in a new day and era of NBA free agency and just the way that maybe the players are taking over their own their own fates a little more in the future? I think we're in, in this new era where, you know, Listen to the rap 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 music right now. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. <laughs> you know, and, and, and Drake has songs where I don't care. I'm going to win. I don't care what I have to do to win. They don't care what they have to do to win. You know, they're, they're going to put themselves in just any position possible, whatever is the easiest way to win that title. And, you know, and I'm not trying to degrade LeBron or Wade or Bosh. I mean, shoot, hey, if you could do it, do it. I mean, but, um, you know, I, I think today's society, it's more of a microwave society where, you know, my, my era, shoot, I don't want to join with them cats. I want to win it on my own, you know. Uh, just like, you know, that's Kobe's era. Kobe, you know, got help where he is. But I just think the mentality of some of the, the, the younger players in the league now is, 
you know, hey, I don't want to wait. I want it now. I want to win, win, win no matter what. And, you know, LeBron and Wade and, and Bosch, they they had the right to, to join together and join forces and they're close friends. So they did it. Different mentality from when I grew up, but uh, that's that's today's athlete. That's today's young athlete, and it was their prerogative to do it, and they did it. So let's it'll be interesting to see how it all comes together. You know, that's funny. Every time you come on here, you either sing, you rap. I'm dancing over here, too. I was going to say, uh, <laughs> we need to get a camera out there to uh, to the to the Bay Area and see if you are doing a two-step or something as you speak And then I can bring the Spears girls and have them dance behind the me. <laughs> <laughs> they got Spears girls at Yahoo? But not yet. It's wow. um, something we're working on in the next quarter's budget. <laughs> listen, man, we – listen – we appreciate you coming on, Mike. We know you're busy. Uh, you know, need deep in all this stuff. Anytime you need me man. to come on, I'll figure it out. No, no, we appreciate it. And listen, when the Carmelo story breaks, we're just gonna send everybody to uh, at Spears NBA Yahoo because we figure that's where we'll read about it first. So, well, I hope you're right. No doubt. Appreciate it, Mark Spears at Yahoo right. Sports. I guess. Thanks so much, man. All right, man. Talk I'll to help. you soon. Well, that, I mean, that kind of that that wraps it up for me because, like I said, I didn't think the the Carmelo thing was done. And and speaking to Mark, who I, I he did joke, like I haven't been working, but I have been working. <laughs> I want everybody to know I have been working hard. I tell um, you what, man, listen to him spell out all the things that Carmelo's got in mind. I'm like, man, how how's he still in Denver? <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to remember too, <laughs> every guy that's in that position, maybe not at the tier that Carmelo is, but every guy who who is at that tier and every guy who aspires to be at that tier, they have that same mentality going towards summer 2011. So did did we mention earlier that, that the season hasn't started yet? <laughs> Believe me, it's the, the drama is rolling along. And and every every week we, we get on the Hang Time podcast here and have more and more of it to uh, to sort through. So um we're gonna we're gonna let it be. We're gonna let it be and and really enjoy the Miami Heat's first preseason game live at 7 p.m. Eastern on NBA TV Tuesday night, October 5th. It's the unveiling of the Miami Three or whatever you want to call them. So make sure you tune in. Um, and, and Micah, the All Ball blog. There you go. Hang Times, baby brother. Um, Maybe we'll see if we can't get in some trouble, some sibling trouble in the next few days and, and get this thing going in the right direction. Yeah, we'll find something we disagree on. Yes, sure. absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Seku Smith from the Hangtime Podcast and the Hangtime Blog at NBA.com. Super producer Micah Hart in the studio today filling in for our usual guest co-host, Lang Whitaker of Slam Magazine, who will return next week as we dig in and, uh, and bring you a whole lot more from around the world of the NBA. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang with The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. 